Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. You never get used to telling that family that, you know, we found your daughter looking that father in the eyes and, and seeing uh, the pain he feels. Uh, it never gets easy. For Volt Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. And I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In the state of Washington, a relative of Candy Rogers shared her memories of the nine-year-old, 62 years after she was murdered and months after the case was finally solved. Did it shape how you parented your children? Oh, definitely. When they went out to play, number one rule, keep this house in sight at all times. And it was hard. It still is. It's very hard, just knowing that her life was snuffed down so fast. In Georgia, a verdict reached in the case of a 23-year-old college student found strangled to death in February of 2020. For him to just even sit up there and think that he can live his best life after you took somebody's family members, somebody's sisters, somebody's cousins, somebody's niece, somebody's nephew, somebody's child, and have no remorse about it at all, that, that hurts. Reed, on our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles, you recently covered a cold case out of Spokane, Washington. It was solved after more than 60 years. Since we released that episode, there's been some more reporting from our partner station, Cram 2 News in Spokane, that we're going to talk about. But let's start with the background and work our way up to that. What happened back in the 1950s? It was in the late 1950s, in 1959, actually, that a nine-year-old girl named Candy Rogers vanished and was later found murdered. She was out selling Campfire Girls mints around her neighborhood when she went missing. And then for more than two weeks, people were out and searching for her. It was an incredibly extensive search effort. And actually, at one point, three airmen died in a helicopter crash while they were aiding the search efforts. But then it was on March 22nd of 1959, Candy's body was found beaten and raped seven miles away from her home. And that was the start of what would end up being one of the biggest and longest police investigations in the history of Spokane. And the news when we covered this case on True Crime Chronicles was that the case had finally been solved, right? Right. Back in November of of this past fall, 2021, after more than 60 years, Spokane police announced that a man named John Ray Hoff was responsible for Candy's murder. He'd never been a suspect in the crime up to that point, uh, but by the time they did connect Hoff to the crime, he was actually deceased But investigators were able to recover some DNA from evidence that was kept in a mason jar since 1959. And the really short version of what happened is that they shipped that evidence off to a private genome sequencing company in Texas and then were able to build out a DNA profile of the perpetrator and narrow down a suspect list to three brothers in the Hoff family. All three of them were deceased, but then they got permission from the family to exhume John Ray Hoff's body, and he ended up being a match for the perpetrator's DNA. You know, we're certainly seeing more and more of this all the time, but it's still stunning to see a case like this solved after such a long period of time. It's a story that our partner station in Spokane, Krem 2 News, has continued to follow up on. That's right, and that's where we do have some new information. 
Crime investigative reporter Whitney Ward spoke to one of the only relatives of Candy Rogers that's still living to remember her. It was a cousin of Candy's named Joanne Poss. And mom said, oh, they found Candy's body. She told me that she was dead. I thought, no, that doesn't happen. And for 62 years, she says her family lived in that shadow. We even sent an entire packet, probably a good inch thick, to America's Most Wanted. I'm John Walsh. Well, they sent the packet back with a very nice letter saying there wasn't enough to go on. You must have at some point felt like all hope was lost. Yes, I did. And I never, ever thought it was going to be solved. And Poss talked about finding out about everything back in 1959 and and how over time her family started to lose hope that the case would ever be solved. And it's just something that has haunted this entire family for decades. Poss's granddaughter was also there during this interview, and she shared her own memories of hearing about this from her grandmother as she was growing up. Like, I remember talking like talking to my grandma about it but i just took it more as a warning than anything else and crim investigative reporter whitney ward also spoke to some of the investigators who worked on this case what did they share about pursuing the case for such a long time and now finally having some answers well given that this took over 60 years to solve this is obviously a case that generations of investigators have worked on and as you mentioned whitney spoke to to two of them actually a former detective named brian hammond as well as Sergeant Zach Storman, who's actually the officer who came out and announced that the case was solved back in the fall. And they both talked about how this case just sort of nagged at them over the years. I didn't want to let it go. As cold cases go, they're not really in the forefront. Um, You just pick at them when you get a chance. It's kind of a lonely endeavor. If you're working on a cold case, you don't have anybody really to talk to about it. And he had to kind of shoulder that alone for a long time. And they also talked about just the, the the luck or the good fortune that in the end led to solving this case. The fact that they had usable DNA from 1959, which you know is a time investigators weren't thinking at all about preserving biological evidence, at least not in the way that investigators do today. And they said back in the day, investigators typically would have put evidence in plastic bags, which they said kind of destroyed that sort of biological evidence. But for whatever reason, they decided to store this evidence in a mason jar. Putting it in the jar, uh, put it in a, a kind of an airtight container. How critical was it to this case that that evidence still existed and had been preserved all these years? You can't put a value on it. It's beyond belief that it's almost accidental. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the key evidence got put in a mason jar is incredible. When we hear about cold cases being solved after such a long time like this, one of the things we often hear is that it brings a sense of closure to the victim's family. Is that something this family member of Candy's talked about? Has this brought closure to her and the rest of the family? Well, that's something that Whitney asked Joanne Poss about in this interview. And she actually said, no, that closure really isn't the right word. You've said that this hasn't necessarily brought closure to you. No. Mm -mm. What has it brought? It's not closure, but at least there's some form of satisfaction there knowing that the person that did it is at least named He may be in a grave, but he's named. And while Poss is relieved to finally have answers, she knows it's something Candy's parents never got. They never saw him pay or die for it. They went to their grave not knowing that was hard, very hard. But something that did come out of this, or at least was influenced by this, is that the granddaughter who was there for this interview She's a freshman in college, and and she actually now wants to pursue a career in forensics. It 
really bothered me. Poss's granddaughter, Emily, now a freshman at Gonzaga University, is pursuing her own career in forensics to help solve future crimes like Candy's. And it just felt like something that I could really love doing, especially with the fact that it gives you something to do about all these people that don't get justice. Both are now hoping when people hear the name Candy Rogers, they will no longer think of a terrible unsolved murder, but rather an endless pursuit for justice and a family who waited lifetimes for the truth. Only God knows what she could have done if she had lived, but because she can't, if you can carry on work in her name, that's something so good. She can't be forgotten. Anitra Gunn was last seen alive on February 14th, 2020. Last week, after seven days of testimony, her former boyfriend was found guilty of Anitra's murder. Before we get to the investigation and the recent trial, Will, tell us about Anitra Gunn. Anitra Gunn was an Atlanta native. She was 23 years old in 2020. She was going to Fort Valley State University in Georgia. That's about an hour and a half south of Atlanta. Her friends say she loved animals. She worked at a local restaurant. And really, she was just living the life of a young student going to college and and enjoying herself. Her cousin, Emmanuel Nelson, says they were almost inseparable growing up. Growing up with each other, we always used to just play around and like playing outside. Sometimes we used to get in trouble. So then leading up to February of 2020, Anitra was dating a man by the name of Demarcus Little. He was 22 years old and an army sergeant based in Augusta. He actually grew up in Ford Valley where Anitra was going to school. They had been in an on-and-off-again relationship. In fact, texts that eventually were made public in court records show that leading up to February of 2020, the relationship was indeed very troubled. That's all going on leading up to February of 2020. Take us through everything that then happens in February of 2020. So before she was reported missing, about a week before, her car tires were slashed and a brick thrown through the window of her house. So that was back in early February of 2020. Then about a week later, DeMarcus, her boyfriend, and Anitra were at a party. This was February 13th. That's the night before she disappeared. They eventually went back to his aunt's house in the early morning hours of February 14th. Anitra's father, Christopher Gunn, living in Atlanta, called to wish her a happy Valentine's Day on Friday morning, and he actually spoke to her. But then other family members and friends sent texts and calls through the day, and they didn't hear back from her. She has a big, big family, um, so she's always contacting somebody. Um, she has, you know, some close friends, too. I call some of her close friends and have them do the same thing. She never takes them back, didn't call them back. Uh, that's when I, we just knew something Something is definitely uh, out of way. He asked police to do a courtesy check at Anitra's residence, which they did. No one was found in the house. There was no sign of any struggle or anything like that or a robbery. So on February 15th, the following day, her father actually drove from Atlanta to Fort Valley to file a missing persons report. Her car was found damaged without a front bumper. The car was found in a neighbor's yard near her apartment. The GBI, or Georgia Bureau of Investigation, took Anitra's car for processing. Her father said her wallet was found inside. He also said her phone was found somewhere else, but police didn't tell him where it was found. And then the Fort Valley Police Department issued a release asking people to be on the lookout for Anitra. And it wasn't too long then before Anitra's body was discovered. Yeah, it was just a few days later on February 18th, the GBI confirmed that Anitra's body had been recovered in Crawford County. 
near the Peach County, Crawford County line. At this point, we know law enforcement has found Anitra Gunn's body, but we don't know if any arrests have been made so far. Peach County Sheriff Terry D says a Peach County deputy first spotted a piece of guns missing car bumper about 150 yards down a trail off of Greer Road in Crawford County. Then he saw her body. We had an idea of the, the bushes and sticks that were in the front of the grill of her car. Uh, so the deputies were kind of looking for those areas. Crawford County Sheriff Lewis Walker says her body was found partially covered with tree limbs, indicating someone was trying to hide it. You send your child off to go to a school and to further the education, and then all of a sudden, you know, your child is missing, and then the next thing, you know, your child is gone. The Peach County Sheriff said in a news conference at the time that her boyfriend was a person of interest and was being interviewed. In fact, they talked to him three times. And then just hours later on that same day and after he mentioned him as a person of interest, her boyfriend was arrested and charged with that incident back on February 5th. They say he smashed the windows at her apartment and slashed her tires. A few days later, February 21st, DeMarcus Little appeared in a courtroom for a bond hearing on those criminal charges, the property charges we mentioned. But then on that same day, DeMarcus Little was formally charged with malice murder in the death of Anitra Gunn. A warrant revealed the cause of death as manual strangulation, and he appeared in court for the murder charge and was not granted bond. Also in late February, so this was all going on in that same month that she disappeared, DeMarcus's friend, Javon Abram, was also arrested. Yeah, a friend of Anitra Gunn and her boyfriend is now charged in this case. So we are talking about 22-year-old Javon Abram. Let's show you his picture now. He faces charges including making a false statement in his hometown of Valdotza and concealing a death in Peach County where Anitra's body was found. Abram's arrest comes just days after Gunn's boyfriend, Demarcus Little, was charged with murder for allegedly strangling the Atlanta native to death on Valentine's Day. GBI says there could be more arrests in the case. And this all led up to a trial, as I mentioned. The recent trial included seven days of testimony. Who all did jurors hear from throughout that? Testimony included key witnesses like Gunn's best friend, Demarcus Little's aunt, Little's best friend, Javon, and even Little himself will tell you more about what happened when he was on the stand. But on the first day, jurors heard from witnesses who described Gunn's final hours. In opening statements, Prosecution said that she laughed at Little in the early morning hours of Valentine's Day 2020 when he told her that he loved her. The assistant DA, Neil Halverson, said that that led to Little choking her to death and that he eventually confessed everything to his best friend. Testimony also focused on technology during the days before and after Gunn went missing. Text messages, social media messages, phone locations, all presented to jurors. And prosecutors said the location data showed Little's location near her abandoned car and where her body was later found. I mentioned DeMarcus Little took the stand in his own defense, hoping to convince the jury that he just didn't kill Anitra Gunn. He called her his soulmate and said he would never kill her, but he was then grilled by the prosecution about evidence in the case. But when the state questioned Little in an intense cross-examination, Little could not explain or said the evidence was wrong. And you dumped your soulmate like garbage in the middle of the woods, didn't you, sir? No, ma'am. Just like your phone said you did. And then you drove back down her beaded car with a missing bumper and the missing wheel well, and you dumped her car just like you dumped her at the corner of Bell and Montrose, didn't you, sir? No, ma'am. In the end, the jury deliberated for about three hours before returning with a verdict. 
What was their decision? DeMarcus Little was found guilty of felony murder and aggravated assault. He was not guilty of malice murder. In his final statement before the judge, Assistant DA Neil Halverson asked her to consider imposing the maximum sentence against DeMarcus Little. He actually became audibly emotional as he described the condition where her body was found. The judge sentenced Little to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Among cries of relief from Anitra Gunn's family, DeMarcus Little was put in handcuffs and escorted out. Judge Connie Williford sentenced Little to the maximum penalty, life without the possibility of parole. The sentence Anitra Gunn's family asked the court for Tuesday. Her godmother, sister, and cousin all stood before the judge, saying Little stole the life Anitra Gunn was just beginning and the memories her family could have made with her. There will be no more birthday parties, holiday celebrations, or family activities to share. After the sentence was read, the family walked out of the courtroom into a hallway. There, you could hear Christopher Gunn wailing out of relief. Remember, it was him two years ago that reported his daughter missing. And every day of this trial, he has been sitting front row listening to every single one of these witnesses. Now, the family has some closure. Yeah, I feel like he got what he deserved. And our family finally has closure after two whole years of pain and depression and just waking up every day knowing that she's not here no more. All right. Thank you, Will. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever you're listening right now. If you're looking for something else to listen to, you can head over to vaultstudios.com for a full list of our shows that includes our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. As we mentioned, we covered the Candy Rogers case on that podcast. That's episode number 136 of True Crime Chronicles. That'll do it for this one. For Vault Studios, along with Will Johnson, I'm Reed Redmond.